he would be able to pour out his life as a, as a drink offering on your altar for the cause of Christ, that, that we would see many more come to faith, that we'd have more baptismal services filled with students excited to follow Christ with their entire life. And God, we also just pray for your protection over them as a family. God, protect, protect them as they parent their kids. Protect them as they step out in faith. And God, all for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. <laughs> Little. <laughs> awesome. This is why having a church in an industrial area actually works good because all the honking does not upset anybody, right? So this is awesome. Awesome. All right. Hey, why don't you grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 8. So we're going to be this morning. Daniel chapter 8, it is a tough passage of Scripture. It's, it's, it's another one of these hard, apocalyptic pieces of God's Word that it's, it's, it's got weird imagery in it, but we're going to jump in this morning. I'm excited for what God has for us in His Word. In fact, let, let me pray for us before we jump in. <clears throat> Lord God, we want to we see You, we want to hear You, and we want to follow You. So Father, where, where our minds can't comprehend, we pray for Your Spirit to illuminate where our, our hearts don't want to grab a hold of your word, God, I just pray that you would convict us. Lord, where we're weak and feeble, that you would empower us and strengthen us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. Lord God, I pray we would, we would drive out of here this morning having met with you, encouraged by your word, and sent out on mission. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, as we jump into Daniel chapter 8, I was just thinking <clears throat> just how hard life can be. I mean, there, there's so many trials and struggles. There's, there's sickness and death and lockdowns and viruses and protests and disagreements and, and divorce and abuse and addictions. And, 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 and nowadays, we have so much information going all over online. It's, it's hard to know hey, what's truth, what's not truth. And I mean, I, how do we live out our lives in this it can be overwhelming at times. So let me give you some encouragement from Daniel's life. Even before we jump into the text this morning, something I've been so amazed at as I'm studying this, as we're going through the book together, and something that I've missed in every kid's story I've ever heard about Daniel. I've always seen Daniel as, he's so courageous, he's so strong, he's so powerful, and, and he was. I mean, he had crazy courage in the face of, of death and opposition and threat when He's courageous. He's, it's true, but, but something that I missed, and, and I caught it after chapter 7. At the end of chapter 7, Daniel's seen a, a vision of what's to come, and it's horrifying. As sin is, is just given this, this reign on, on earth, as, as the Antichrist comes, as, as all the stuff that's laid out, what's going to happen to Babylon and, the, and the, the armies that would come, the kingdoms that would come, and, and just overwhelmed by all that, he, he also sees into heaven to see God's power and control over it all. And yet what happens? At the end of chapter 7, the last verse there, it says, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed. Daniel struggled with it. I mean, we come to chapter 8 here, what we're going to dig into this morning, and you see at the end of chapter 8 now, the last verse there, what's it say? Look at your Bibles there, verse 27. It says that when he heard all that was coming, he was sick. It says, he says, I was appalled. I was knocked off my feet. I, I was wrecked by what I was hearing. 
mean, Daniel sees all the pain, all the struggle that God's predicting, and it's hard for him to hear it. So let me say this, if the sin of our world, if if sin that's done around you or to you or even sin that you're wrestling with, if if it's knocked you off your feet, if, if the trials of another lockdown, it's just been to the point of, man, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. Listen, you're in good company with a guy like Daniel. I mean, let's not be so quick to just blurt out, come on, just trust the Lord in this. It's faith over fear. It's, it's choose joy in the trials. And, and all those things are true. We are to have a deeper joy. We are to have a a stronger hope. We can rest because we know who God is and what he says and that he's in control and and through his grace, what he says about you as a Christ follower. But, But even in all of that, let me give you a little space this morning. Space to be real. Life can be hard. And, and if you feel the weight of life in these days especially, listen, it's just revealing something about you. You're human. And, and just trying to smile and fake it till you make it, I mean, it's never worked. It's never done much good. So, so let's start from this place of reality even this morning. Life can be hard. And when we read through what Daniel saw in chapter 8, you'll, you'll realize, man, why it wrecked him. But listen, the whole point of the book of Daniel, the whole point of apocalyptic literature is this. It's hope. Hope in knowing this. God's in control. So we hold on to that truth and, and we hold on to it from a place of reality where I'm frail, I'm weak, this stuff is hard. But I can do what? As it, what's it say there in that, that last verse in chapter 8? It says that Daniel went to go about doing the king's business. He kept on pursuing what God called him to do. Why? Why? How could Daniel be such an overcomer in such difficult times or that he was in and what he saw was coming? It's this. He knows that, that he would be rescued and redeemed, that we know on this side of the cross that we are the ones who have been rescued and redeemed by the overcomer. So yeah, left to ourselves, we have no hope in hopeless times, but God, but God, but God, that that, that we can rejoice through tears. We can trust through our fears. We, We can thrive even in difficult seasons. In fact, what this chapter of Daniel does for us, I think it's even greater than what it would have done for Daniel. You see, Daniel heard this vision and then he walks in faith. Yet for us, on the other side of what, was, what we're going to read in chapter 8 here that was predicted by God, we can look back in history and go, God did it all. So, so we can walk in faith as we don't know what's coming tomorrow. Why? Because we have a chapter here in God's word that shows God's sovereignty in the past so clearly I can trust him when God says I'm doing this in the future. I don't know if you've ever been asked to, uh, to do something so scary. And someone says, I want you to try this. It's super scary. And what do they say? They say, just trust me, I've got this. And you're like, yeah, why would I trust you? You're just saying we can do this, but, but do I know we can do this? Now, I, I thought of my first time ever skydiving. It was in Titusville, Florida. It, it, was, it was one of the highest jumps you can do in the U.S. It's 18,000 feet up. And, and as a younger guy, I loved adventurous stuff. And so, so I wasn't super scared. And yet my first question that I asked the guy that I'm strapped to to tandem jump out of this perfectly good plane, my first question was this. How long have you been doing this? 
Why? Why? I want to know I can trust you. Because 18,000 feet is a long way to fall for a guy who would just say, well, I read a book once. Like, I saw terminal velocity over 10 times. I got this. You see, Daniel's a book where, where, where we can see that the, the jump ahead of us is coming, as scary as it is, and we can turn to God, and God says, follow me, trust me. And we can say this, I know you're sovereign. I've seen that you're in control. I've seen that you have a purpose and a plan, that nothing is outside of your hands. And so what can we do? We can jump. Now what Daniel is talking about here, there is a a difficult scene that's about to be laid out here and Daniel lays out for us really this choice. Hey, can you live for today like, like there is no tomorrow? Can you live for today entrusting tomorrow to the Lord? Can you jump? So we have here in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel's likely in his 80s. He's still in exile in Babylon. He's working for the newest Babylonian king, Belshazzar. And in chapter 7 that we covered a couple weeks ago, he had this vision, kind of a panoramic. Hey, here are four empires, four kingdoms that are coming. Now chapter 8 zooms in really on two of these kingdoms. If your Bible's open, starting in verse 1, it says this. In the the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, so this is now a few years after the first vision in chapter 7, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. He goes, the one in verse seven appeared to me now. Here's another one that came. And it says this, and I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Uli Canal, and I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. And I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward, and no beast could stand before him. And there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. And so Daniel has this vision where he sees that Babylon, the empire that had captured him and was in charge right now, that it would be conquered. And the next section of this vision in chapter 8, you'll see another nation will come and conquer that nation. Ultimately, there'll be a battle that would come before Jesus returns. I I love what we're reading here because here's what it shows us. The Bible is not just a bunch of really good stories with, with a moral that we should grab a hold of. It's not just a book of philosophy. It's actually a book of history and the future. So, so we can jump. We, we can have wisdom and courage and peace and hope. Why? Because we see so clearly that, that God holds tomorrow. And he says so clearly Babylon's going to be conquered by a kingdom with, with these two horns, high horns, horns representing power and, and the, these two powerful leaders, these two kings, these two horns. So who is this kingdom? What's the vision talking about? Well, the great part of chapter 8 is that, that as the vision gets laid out, we also have an interpretation of the vision. So, so look down at verse 15. It says, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I, I sought to understand it. So, so, so Daniel gets some revelation. He sees this vision, and he's like, man, I don't get it. I find that so encouraging, right? I mean, how often do you read the word and you go, hmm, I'm not sure I get what this is actually saying. And, and Daniel's like beside you as you're saying that, going, yeah, totally, right? And so what happens? God sends Daniel a helper. 
It says he, he sought to understand. It says this, it says, and behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli and it called Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came where I stood and, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. So what's going on here? We've got this person that, that appears, it's like the appearance of man. I think this is Jesus pre-incarnate before he comes to earth as a man, Jesus. And he says, hey, Gabriel, you come explain it to him. Gabriel shows up. I mean, how cool is that? Imagine you're in God's word and you're like, man, this is so tough. And then this huge winged warrior shows up. Yeah, you need some help? Y- yes. So cool. But listen, Christian, Christian, when you jump into the word, you have something even greater than Gabriel the angel. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And it says, Jesus says in John 16, 13, the Holy Spirit loves to open up the word to those who study and dig and seek and want to live this out. I mean, think about what it is to be filled with the Spirit, to be listening to the Spirit, and the Spirit is there as you're reading God's word, and the Spirit's saying, hey, I wrote that. Let me help you understand it. If you want to know God's word, listen, you can learn it. It, it, it takes prayerful study. It takes, it takes digging in. It's, it's why I like going through books of the Bible on Sunday mornings together because here's my hope. My hope is as after I preach. A... In fact, I just heard of a group of guys in our church. They're meeting together as a group of guys and, and a bunch of them would be this kind of guy. And maybe you can relate. They're like, dude, I don't think I read one book in high school. I just don't read. You know what they're doing? They're they're not using that as an excuse any longer. They're digging into the word together. And listen, God is showing up. One of our students in our youth ministry, someone who had never stepped foot inside a church in their life, neither them nor their parents, they come out to youth for the first time. God grabs a hold of their life. They give their life to Jesus. And now they were saying, man, when I study the Bible, it's so different than subject at school. I mean, it's hard, but I I keep reading it. It's like I keep understanding more and more. That's God's spirit at work. And yes, sometimes scripture can be easier to understand where you can read it. It's so plain. And there are other times we we open up God's word and it's going to take some digging to get to the gold. You might need to pray more. You might need to study more. You might need to to grab others. Hey, can you help me as I learn how to understand and apply this? So Gabriel comes by, look at verse 18. It says, when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. And he, actually, I don't want to, I don't want to put too much into verse 18, but I do love that Gabriel starts to explain God's word and Daniel nods off. For a preacher, that's very encouraging, all right? Even Gabriel had people sleeping while he preached. So that's pretty cool. All right, verse 19. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. So Gabriel says, hey, let me explain it to you. This is what it is. That's the Medes and the Persians. One horn bigger than the other because Persian, the, the Persian empire was stronger of the two partners. In fact, eventually it fully takes over and it becomes just the Persian empire. Incredibly powerful. I mean, in verse 4, it says they, they trampled on anyone. Nobody could hold them back. Daniel sees it. It's so terrifying. 
But here's what's so cool. As we look backward as to what happened, the, the Persians, as brutal as they were, God used the Persian Empire to liberate the Jewish people. And the Persians were the ones that allowed them to, to rebuild their temple and to begin to worship again. So in the terror of it, you can see where God's saying, listen, I'm going to make it so my word can be proclaimed. I'm going to make it so that people can worship and the nations can know and hear about who I am. Here's what I love. Again, we're, we're seeing this all over Daniel. God is in charge. No, no matter what's going on in our world today, we can trust him and his plans. All the things that can concern us about our time, even now, to, to know that God's not freaked out by any of this. That, that, that Trudeau does not scare God. That, 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 that Putin or, or, or Xi Jinping, they're, they're not outside of God's power. The guy's like, I'm not worried about all of this. God at work. Let's keep going. Look, look back now. So we've got the, the Persian Empire. Let's go back to verse five and see the second part of this vision. He says, as I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, so fast, moving so quickly. And, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He, he came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him but he cast him to the ground and trampled on him and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken and instead of it came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. What's going on there? Thankfully, we get an interpretation. Look at verse 21. And, and the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king, as for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose. Four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. So you have the Babylonians conquered by the Medes and the Persians, and the Persians, now, now a few hundred years later, another empire conquers the Persian Empire. And we know from history that the, the Persians were ruthless against Greece, constantly attacking until Alexander the Great, it says that, that horn that grew up quickly, this young man, Alexander the Great, so brilliant, such a brilliant military leader. But what do we read here, though, that that horn, Alexander the Great, that horn, while it's still young, it's broken, and in its place, four smaller horns grow. Here's what we know from history. Alexander raises up very quickly at a young age, in about 10 years conquers the, that a lot, of, a lot of liberal theologians are trying so hard to prove, wait a minute, this couldn't have been written when it says it was written. It had to be written way after. And yet evidence of the writing of Daniel points over and over again to, no, this was just God at work, a prophetic word, so encouraging. God knows in advance exactly what's going to happen. All of it under his sovereign control. All of it, listen, happening to bring about his plans. All of this, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans after them, all coming. Why? Because God's setting up for Jesus to come into human history. All setting up for Christ's first coming. And listen, listen, for us to know even now, God is preparing for what? For Christ's second coming. And these horns of power, that they shatter in God's hands. 
Again, the whole purpose of apocalyptic writing is this. It's hope. It's hope. I mean, it only takes about 10 minutes on social media, and you can see, especially in this season, what do you see? You see so much fear, so much anxiety. What's going to happen in the future? And, and we're trying to figure out what's going on and what might happen. It can be so scary. And so God brings us his word to give us hope. God brought his word to Daniel, who was, who was far from home in enemy territory, in a, in a place where it looks like Satan was winning. God, where is God in all of this? And God pulls back the curtain and says, Daniel, here's what I'm doing. All we see is the play in front of us. And God at times says, let me pull the curtain back so you can see what's really happening, what I'm really up to. <clears throat> That's what this is to do for us. As we read through what God says in apocalyptic literature, and I think of it this way. My wife and I were watching a series on Netflix, and as we're watching, we're, you know, a couple seasons in, and one of the key characters dies. And, and this is my personality. I can't handle it. I'm like, uh, dies? What? So what do I do? I, I right away, I go on the little, on the bottom of the screen where you can click on more seasons, and I, and I go to like a next season along to open up what those episodes were just to see if that person was still going to be in the series. And they were. I'm like, okay, they didn't really die. And now, now I can look at that and go, hey, okay, something else is going on here. And, and my hope is restored, right? Things are going to work out. That's what God's doing for us as he gives us chapters like this, where God's saying, hey, let me show you what I'm doing. He uses this powerful Greek nation. What's he do? Listen, Greece comes in. God uses them. They come and they bring a common language for the known world. A language understood by everybody. So what happens? When Christ comes, what's the New Testament written in? It's written in Greek. Jesus Christ comes in the fullness of time to fulfill prophecy. So when he comes, when he dies on the cross, is risen from the grave, the, the good news of who Christ is can be taken to, in one language across the entire known world. On Listen, I love this too. On these roads that Rome built because they wanted to expand their kingdom. And God says, thanks for that. I'm using it for mine. I mean, God pulls back his look behind the curtain. I'm using these things that look like it's just total tragedy. I'm using them for my purposes and my glory. God is awesome. God is awesome. Right, let's keep going. Look at verse 9. It says, One of them, out of one of them came a little horn. So now the four horns, horns are they're, they're shattered. Out of those come another little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. That, that would be Israel. That's what he would call Israel, right? Towards the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the hosts and some of the stars, it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It sounds like this next ruler here in Daniel 8, it sounds like they're greater than God. I mean, that's the, the host of heaven. But doesn't it look like that sometimes? When we look at what's going on in our world and we're thinking, man, is this out of God's control? Verse 11, it goes on. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host, and the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. What's it saying? It's saying the temple was destroyed. Worship can no longer happen. Verse 12 and a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering. Because of transgression, it will be thrown to the ground and it will act and prosper. He, he throws truth to the ground. God's word disregarded. 
Verse 13, then I heard a holy one speaking and another holy one said to the one who spoke, for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the the transgression that made desolate, the giving over the sanctuary and the host, how long is it gonna be trampled underfoot? See what's going on? Even in heaven, the angels looking in going, how long is this gonna go on? How long will it be like this? Daniel, overwhelmed by it, he's so disturbed by the transgression, by the the sin that he sees, and the the evil, and the the complete disregard of God. And, And don't we see this today? I mean, truth just thrown to the ground. Truth has so been thrown to the ground that we can now hear this phrase being used so much. Well, well, that's my truth. Well, that might be your truth. Let me let me tell you my truth. Truth thrown to the ground. I was on a group call just this past week with, with a bunch of other pastors, and we were on a, a Zoom call with a, a research physician from Toronto, a world-renowned doctor, and he wanted to talk to pastors about some of the dangerous things that he sees coming from the medical community. And one of the things he really wanted to talk to us about was how quickly medical assistance in dying is moving. He goes, guys, this is coming so fast. And he said this, he goes, it's not a medical issue. It's a theological issue. He says, it's about hearts and minds and souls. It's not about bodies. Bills being discussed right now in our parliament that, that could mean this sometime, maybe sometime, even in my lifetime, that if I were to preach God's word clearly about men and women and sexuality, it will mean I'm actually committing a hate crime. Truth thrown to the ground. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10 says says that the the lawless one, that's what Paul calls the antichrist, the lawless one is coming. And what he'll do? He'll deceive people because they refuse to love the truth. Our call as Christians is what? When we see so much untruth in our world, listen, we're not trying to build up a theocracy in Canada. It's, It's It's for us, though, what do we need? We need to know the truth of God's word and proclaim that truth of the gospel to a lost and dying world. I'm not saying you can't write letters to your MP or MPPs. I'm not saying that we we can't plead with leaders for truth in our nation. But listen, I don't see that as our focus. I, I, I see as you go all through church history, our focus, the church's focus, is less about protecting my rights and my comforts, and it's working to see that the marginalized, to see that the hurting, to see that the lost, to see those who are so deceived that they would see the truth, they would receive Christ and be healed and helped. We see what's going on even right now with these lockdowns. Listen, I would say this. Whether you think that what's going on right now is a, is a government plot to take over and have more power, whether you would look at our situation now and just think it's, it's a mishandled situation by leaders who keep dropping the ball and how they're doing it, or, or if you think, no, it's a, a very real threat to our healthcare system, any of those, wherever you fit on that spectrum, the answer is the same. The response is the same. How do we bring the hope and healing of Jesus to this time? Who who needs us to come alongside them? How do we sacrifice more for those who need Jesus? God has, in his sovereignty, as he's using the nations around us, our normal way of worship has been changed. It's been shut down for a season. But, But maybe, maybe, this is just me prayerfully thinking this through, maybe God's pushing us out into the fields that are ripe for harvest. 
Maybe here we are banging on the doors of the church saying, God, let us back in. And God's saying, would you turn around and see what I've got behind you? Go to them. God's at work. We don't always see it, but, but behind the curtain, listen, God's at work. We're reading here in Daniel 8, as, as he goes on and talks about this, this next horn that comes up, I, I believe there's a, a historical person this is pointing to, a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes was this horrible tyrant. He, he, he took the word of God, and he ransacks the temple, he cuts up the word of God, the scrolls, throws them in the streets, literally throws down the truth. I would say this, the spirit of the Antichrist is at work whenever we try to stand over God's word rather than allow God to have authority over us. So, so when we edit, when we change, when we try to disobey, when we try to disregard, we say, well, maybe it doesn't quite mean that. We're throwing truth to the ground. I would say this, we read God's word so that it, it interprets us. It rules us. And when we disagree with God's word, guess who's probably wrong? And there's so many times where God, God's word confronts us, confronts our culture, and the question being asked is, will we stand over God's word or will we let it stand over us? Verse 13, the angels ask, how long will this happen? Look at verse 14, the time's given. How long this, this, this awful time will be. And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. And what's that mean? So the temple is destroyed. Worship can't happen anymore. How long? 2,300 evenings and mornings. Now, now there's, there's three real ways I've seen this interpreted. It could mean 2,300 days. So, so a little less than six and a half years. It, it could mean, wait, mornings and evenings, the, the two times of sacrifice. So divide that number in half. And now you've got 1,150 days. So, so a little over three years maybe. It could just mean, hey guys, there's a period of time that's gonna happen and, and God is in control. He has the days counted. The demonic destruction will come to an end. Now we're gonna unpack these times a little more as we go through this series, but, but for now, jump down to verse 23 to 26 and we see the interpretation of what's going on here. It says, in the latter end of the kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. You get that? There's something else going on. There's something demonic happening through this person. He shall cause fearful destruction, shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken, but by no human hand. I love that. He will be taken care of, but not by human hand. God's going to be in this. And the vision of the evenings and the mornings has been told us is true. But seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. So here's something that, that helped us understand apocalyptic literature, whether it be Daniel or the book of Revelation. What you see over and over again is Satan continually trying to counterfeit God. He does it all through scripture. You see this. God has a kingdom. Satan builds a kingdom. Jesus is king. Satan raises up an anti-Jesus, an antichrist as king. 
So what's going on here, we, we see a historical fulfillment of this, that hundreds of years later, this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, he comes into power, and he's a brutal dude. He, he would be the, the Hitler or the Stalin of his day. Demonically enraged, he starts to slaughter Jews. 80,000 in one day. Kids, the elderly, men and women. He marches into the temple in Jerusalem. He sets up a statue of Zeus in the temple. And then he told people this. He said, hey, if you want to know what Zeus looks like, just look at me. See the counterfeit there? See what Satan's doing? Remember what Jesus would say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now here's Antiochus going, you want to know what a God looks like? I am that God. He then sacrifices a pig on the altar in the temple, an unclean animal. It's his way of saying, hey, this lamb of God, it's a pig to me. It's demonic. In the New Testament, Jesus would call this event the abomination of desolation. What's that mean? It means the temple is done. The people are scattered. They're no longer worshiping anywhere. It, it would be like in this shutdown, not only they say, hey, we want to limit what you do, it'd be like them saying, you have to stop worshiping altogether. Now, God did eventually take out Antiochus. There was a, a Maccabean revolt. We read about that in history. The, the temple's restored. In fact, the Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah to, to remember the temple being restored after the brutal reign of Antiochus. So what do we see again? Prophecy fulfilled. Now, here's what I, I think is also going on here. Now, I, I, I say this with an open, humble hand here. I think that, that, that this part of, of Daniel 8 is more than just a historical, that we look back and go, okay, it was fulfilled. I think there's something going on, that, like a, a double prophecy. We, we, we see that a lot in Scripture where, where there's a prophecy that has two, two ways it's fulfilled. There's a, a fulfillment in an earlier time, but it's pointing to a, another time later on. Because we read through these verses and you can say, there's something more going on here than just an earthly battle. It's talking about the, the host of heaven. It's talking about something going on in the spiritual realm. I believe that Antiochus, he's, he's a picture of, a, of the coming Antichrist. I think like all the Antichrists we've seen throughout history, all of them pointing to the one that's coming. In fact, Jesus says in John 2.8, he says, the Antichrist is coming and here's how you know, because many have already come. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, as, as Paul is looking forward, as he's speaking prophetically, not, he's not looking backwards to Antiochus, he's looking forward. And he says, he says this, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, Jesus won't come, Christ will not come again, unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness, Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction. The one who opposes and exalts himself, he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So what's Paul saying? Jesus is coming, but first the Antichrist. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 24. He says, when, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, that's Jesus saying, Daniel was a prophet. This is what he wrote, this, this, this stuff. And he says that when you see that happen in the holy place, he goes, that's when I'm going to come on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He's saying, listen, the brokenness of our world will not go on indefinitely. Verse 25 says that, that, that this ruler will be broken not by any man's hand, but by God's hand. 
fact, as we wrap up this morning, I would say this. Turn your Bibles to, to Revelation 21. You got your Bibles, just flip over. It's the last book, fast, easy to get to. Revelation 21, verses three and four. What we're seeing in the book of Daniel, predicted, what we see in the book of Revelation is this, that God is, is, has a rescue plan where he reverses all of Satan's plans. Where Satan says, yes, I'm conquering. God says, no, I'm using that for my glory and my good. And we can trust all of this pointing to what tomorrow holds for us because we've seen the greatest reversal that God's ever done on the cross and at the resurrection where death was swallowed up in victory, where, where sin was forever dealt with. So we can look to the end and we know this is our end. Revelation 21, look at verses three and four. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Loved ones, this is our hope, that because of Jesus Christ, because of his perfect life, that his death on the cross in our place, when we put our hope and trust in him, his resurrection, conquering sin and death, this is our hope. And we, we wait for when our faith in that becomes sight. I mean, even this week, some of you have cried tears of pain. Listen, that day is coming to an end. Some of you, even this week, have, have mourned the loss of loved ones. That day will be reversed. Revelation 21.5, it says this, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this down, I love this, for these words are trustworthy and true. So how do I live out today as I think about the future? I hold on to the words of Jesus that are trustworthy and true. In fact, Daniel's response in verse 27, at the end of chapter eight, he says, I, I was overcome, I lay sick for days, but then I rose up and I went about the king's business. Let me ask you this as we close. Are you living in a way where, where you can see what's coming? You, you read this and go, man, I, I, I know what God has planned for me. And are you, is your life marked with that kind of hope and excitement for Jesus' return? Daniel says he went about the king's business. He, he went back to what he knew God had called him to do. So let me ask you this. Are you doing your part in the kingdom? Are, are you working for the king of kings right now? Listen, we can't let anything stop us. We can't let anything distract us from being about the king's, our king's business. Daniel had this view of the future, and so he lived so faithfully in the presence. He, he lived seeking for Jesus. So let me ask you to think about this. I, I'm not gonna give you specific application. I, I want you to prayerfully think through, Lord, what have you called me to? So as you look at the hope you can have as God says, I'm working this out for my glory, my good, for my purposes. Let me ask you this, to go about his business. What would it look like for you in, in this season of COVID and lockdowns? What would God be calling you to? What's it look like for you to go about the king's business in, in your life, in your work, in your school?
What's it look like in your finances? in your family, with, with your neighbors, to the, to the world around us. I mean, take some time, even this afternoon, pray, Lord, what's the business you've called me to? And I, I've been distracted. I've either been distracted by the lockdown, distracted by my fears, distracted by, oh, what's this all mean? But God, that you would, you would fill me again with a vision of tomorrow that changes my today. Let me ask you this, does your view of the future, does it paralyze you? Does it cause fear and angst? Does it cause anger? I said this last week, listen, the world freaks out. Christians pray and trust. The the world complains about things around them. Christians celebrate that God's at work. The, The world fights for their rights. Christians serve the least of these. The world grasps for hope and anything they can hold on to. As Christians, we stand firm on the rock of our hope that God is in control. So we have a hope and a future that can never be shaken. Church, let's live out today like we know what tomorrow holds. Let me pray for us, Lord God. Even as I say that, Lord, I I recognize even Daniel even knowing this truth and seeing it in such a a powerful way, it was hard for him. And God, so I know, Lord, it's hard for us too. God, I thank you for the advantage we have over Daniel that we can look back over history and see how you so clearly, so specifically just fall with this hope. God, fill us with that hope. God, I pray that we'd be spurring each other on to, to love and good deeds, even in this season. God, I pray that we would be, we'd be reaching out. God, that you would reveal to us, Lord, what is the kingdom work you have for me today? That, that, that a, a, a drive-in service hasn't changed us, Lord, that we can still be at work. We can still be worshiping and serving you. God, what does that look like? Lord, use this church, use us. God, use us to turn this community upside down with the gospel. Father, let it begin with our hearts and our lives resting in the hope of the one who holds tomorrow so that, God, we can live this out today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Hope to see you next Sunday.